We'll be reading from Philippians 2, verse 1 to 13. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, and in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Thanks, Helen. Hi, everyone. I'm Nat. I'm the Senior Assistant Minister here at Carlton. It's really lovely to have you all here with us this afternoon, especially, especially if you're new or visiting. I want to welcome you, and I'm really glad you're here. hope you can stay afterwards for tea and coffee and maybe even join us for dinner. I wonder if you have ever had conversations about family resemblances. It's a really common question, isn't it? Isn't it when a baby is born, we ask, who does she look like? Who does he look like? People often comment that I look like one or other of my parents, or that my son looks like me. I struggle to see any of those resemblances, but I thought I'd give you a chance to have a look for yourselves this afternoon. So I've got a photo here of me with my mum. Uh, I know we're wearing the same clothes, but <laughs> uh, and then a photo of me with my dad. Uh, you can tell me later if you think I look like either one of them. I'm interested to hear your opinions. Now, it's not always just who looks like who in families that we're interested in, but also who is like who. Maybe you've had one of those awkward realisations one day when you say or do something in a particular way and you think, ah, oh, that was just like my mum. I don't know if that's ever happened to you. Maybe you're a family who's known for being good at a particular thing. Maybe you're part of a family who's musical. Maybe you're part of a sporty family. Maybe you're part of a medical family. Maybe there are some qualities or skills that seem to be passed down through the generations in your family. My dad and my grandpa were both actuaries. I didn't follow in their footsteps, but one of my degrees at uni was a maths degree. 
I grew up in a family where on social occasions, my dad and my grandpa would have conversations about maths together. Fun, right? Uh, my son sadly says to me that he didn't get these maths genes and he blames me for that. <laughs> Last week, we started thinking about church and the plan of God. And Alex reminded us that when we put our trust in Christ, we become part of church. As we trust in Jesus, each of us belongs to God, our heavenly father, as his dearly loved daughter or son. And so we also belong to each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. We don't get to choose who belongs. We all belong. Just like in natural families, we belong to church, to our church family, whether we like it or not. We belong to each other as brothers and sisters, whether we like it or not. So my question today is this. If we can see family resemblances in our natural families, is there a family resemblance in our spiritual family? What quality or qualities shape us as God's people, as God's family, as the church? I wonder what you think. If you had to pick one particular quality, one big family resemblance for God's family, what would it be or what should it be? My guess is that even if you didn't know this talk was about love, you might have picked love. My guess is also that if we ask this question of people who aren't regular members of church, that they would also say that they expect churches to be places where people love each other. And that's what the Bible says. The family resemblance that marks out God's family, that marks out the church, is love. God loves us. We have experienced his love and become his children. And so we ought to love one another. Let me read us a few verses from 1 John chapter 4. God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. At the heart of God's love for us is an action he sent his only son, Jesus, into the world as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. At the heart of Jesus' love for us is that same action. Jesus willingly laid down his life for us. Our sin is our disregard of God, our choice to sideline him in our lives, to keep him out of our lives. Sin is our failure to pledge allegiance to Jesus, even though all humans owe their allegiance to him. So because of our sin, all humans tear ourselves, tear ourselves away from the God to whom we rightly belong. Our relationship with him is fractured. But God sent Jesus to give his life in place of our own so that our relationship with God could be restored, so that we can take our place as sons and daughters adopted into God's family. Each of us is loved by God. God's love for us is what forms this family, the church. God's love for us is what shapes this family, 
the church. Love is the family resemblance to which God calls us. Dear friends, we read in 1 John 4, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. As we go on to think about this question of how we love one another, I want to clarify what, we, what we're thinking about. That today we're thinking about how we love our brothers and sisters in Christ. How we love everyone who is here at 4pm each week. Whether they're brand new to St Jude's, whether they're visiting St Jude's, whether they've been here for 40 years or for four weeks. We're thinking about how we love those who are part of God's family here or who are becoming part of God's family here, how we love those who are visiting God's family here, how we love each other during the week, how we love the people in our connect groups. Next week, we'll think about God's call on us to open our heart and share God's love with others, about reaching out to our community, our city and our world. But for now, let's go back to our question for this afternoon. What does it look like to love one another? Is that family resemblance evident here? in our community at 4pm. I wonder what your experience has been in God's family, either here at St Jude's or in other parts of God's family at other churches. Mine has been mixed. In my own church growing up, I had a mixed experience of family. I love the church that I grew up in and I'm really thankful for the way that God held me there and grew me up there in my faith. I'm thankful for the opportunities that I had to serve there. I'm thankful for friendships that I had there. But there were also times when it was a clicky church. There were times when I was painfully aware that I wasn't part of some of the cliques. There were times when I felt left out. As a young adult, Often I would visit other churches. Sometimes when I visited, I was really warmly welcomed. Other times when I visited other churches, I was barely acknowledged. I don't think this is just my experience either. Years ago at another church, we had an opportunity one day to sit in groups and to answer this question. What has your experience of this church been like? I was sitting in a group of about 10 of us and we went around the circle one by one sharing about our experience. And a few people shared how they had felt really cared for in that community, how they had felt loved and supported. And then we came to one couple who shared that they'd been part of that church for 10 years, but they hadn't felt cared for, they haven't felt loved, they hadn't felt like they'd been able to make it into that community. And they cried as they shared their experience in that place. Even more than these examples, we'll all have heard about or maybe experienced much bigger failures to love than these in our church families. Failures to love that might have sadly caused deep hurt or even, or even harm to some. But God's word to us on this is really clear. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So what should this kind of love look like? Why do we struggle and sometimes fail to love in this way? How can we love like this? Those are the questions I want us to think together about this afternoon. So first of all, what should love in the church family look like? 
We may not realize it, but we learn to love by being loved by others. One of the tragedies of the last decades of the 20th century was the discovery of orphanages in Romania. They were full of children who had been really minimally cared for. They were alive, but they were in terrible condition physically. And the problem wasn't just physical. These children hadn't been loved. They hadn't been held when they were being fed. They hadn't been smiled at or sung to or talked to. They hadn't been cuddled. I recently read an article about one of these young orphans and it was about the time when he turned around 11 and he was adopted into an American family. It was a bumpy ride for all of them. One of the most poignant lines in the story that he was unable to process his family's affection and he struggled to show any affection to them. We learn to love by being loved by others. And in God's family, we learn to love by being loved by God. We heard this already in 1 John chapter 4. It's a repeated theme through the New Testament. And we hear it very succinctly in a few other places in the New Testament. Let me share a few of them with you now. So in 1 Thessalonians 4, we read this, about your love for one another. We do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. We hear it also in 1 John chapter 3. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. And we heard it in our reading a little bit earlier from Philippians 2. Let me just read you a little section of that again. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love. We learn to love by being loved by God. And God's love for us in Christ shows us what love in our church family should look like. Our love for each other is to be like God's love for us. We're to have the same love for others that Christ has for us. So I want to mention three qualities of God's love for us that should shape the way that we love each other. First of all, God's love for us is sacrificial. God's love for us came at the cost of sending his son into the world to die. For Jesus, loving us came at the cost of making himself nothing taking on the very nature of a servant, even though he is in nature God. Loving us came at the cost of Jesus' own life. It's hard to grasp the full extent of God's love for us, the full extent of the sacrifice he made because he loves us. And it's easy to forget that sacrifice is at the heart of love, that all love costs us something. Serving at church is an expression of love. It costs us time and energy, effort. Saying hi to someone new is an expression of love. The cost is the risk of reaching out and of giving up the opportunity to talk to someone we know well. Taking time to pray for someone or to send a message is an expression of love. It costs effort to remember 
it costs discipline to act. Making room for a new friend in our lives is costly. It costs time and effort and making space for someone new in lives that are often already busy. God's love for us is costly. Real love for our brothers and sisters in our church family will also be costly. Secondly, God's love for us is other person-centred. Jesus looked to our interests in his death on the cross, not to his own. Romans 15 puts it really bluntly. Christ did not please himself. And God calls us to that same other person-centred love. Remember those words from Philippians 2. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. There's often a tension between our interests and the interests of others. I sometimes feel it in the supermarket queue. My interests in that queue are to finish and to go home as soon as possible. But the interests of other people are sometimes different to that. Some people like having a chat to the checkout operator. I felt a bit rebuked this morning. Someone at 10 a.m. said to me, I love having a chat to the checkout operator. I felt like I'm really rude. Anyway, from my perspective, it slows things down when you chat with the checkout person. And that clashes with my interests. I read recently that some supermarkets are creating slow lanes for people who like to have a chat as they do their groceries. Maybe they felt this tension between some people wanting to get through quickly and some people wanting to have a chat. On face value, I think it's really easy to think that we're looking to the interests of others. But in reality, I think our own interests are often way more entrenched than we realise. In our relationships here at church on Sundays, in our relationships with our St Jude's brothers and sisters during the week, I wonder what our own interests look like and what the interests of others look like. Have you ever thought explicitly about this? Have you asked yourself the question, how might I be, how might I be helpful to someone else in our community? I wonder if you've asked yourselves some of these questions. What are the interests of someone who is new at St Jude's, new at 4pm? What are the interests of someone who's brand new to Melbourne, who's just arrived? What are the interests of someone who's single in our community? What are the interests of someone who's married in our community? What are the interests of someone who's a brand new Christian? What are the, what are the interests of those here at 4pm who have a baby? What are the interests of those who are here and looking for work? What are the interests of someone standing by themselves in the foyer or the cafe after church? That's just a really small subset of the questions we could be asking ourselves. They're good questions because they help us towards, in humility, valuing others above ourselves, not looking to our own interests, but each of us to the interests of the others. God's love for us is other-person-centred. Real love for our brothers and sisters here will also be other-person-centred. And finally, God's love for us is practical. Faced with 
the breakdown of our relationship with him because of our sin, God acted. He acted through Jesus laying down his life for us. Let me read a bit from 1 John chapter 3. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. God's love for us is practical, and he calls us to have practical love for one another. Giving or sharing material possessions is part of loving one another. During the week, someone who's recently moved to Melbourne posted in our 10 a.m. Facebook group. She and her family are moving into a home next week and their shipping container is running a couple of months late. So they don't have any furniture, they don't have the things they need to move into their home. So she posted in our group asking for help. And I was really thankful to see people reaching out and offering to share their possessions with her, with her family. This can be pretty challenging. What might it look like for you to share the stuff that you have, your possessions, with brothers and sisters here at church? And how else might it look to love with actions? Maybe it might mean helping someone to find a share house to live in. Maybe it might look like helping someone to move house. Maybe it might look like helping people network as they look for a job. Maybe it might look like offering people a lift to church or to another event that you're going to. I'm sure there are lots more practical needs here among our 4pm community. Do we see the needs that each other have? Are we willing to see them? And if we see them, are we willing to act? What should love look like in our Christian family? It should look like God's love for us. It should look sacrificial. It should look other person-centred and it should look practical. I want to really encourage us that I see lots of love like this here in our 4pm family. I just mentioned one example from 10am, but I see lovely examples of people loving each other here at 4pm as well. As lots of you know, we're a pretty new congregation. We started in mid-July last year and as we've started this congregation, I've seen some really lovely examples of people working really hard to get to know others, of people who have come from 10am into 4pm, who've come from uni church into 4pm, who've come from outside St Jude's into 4pm, all working hard to build relationships, to sow into this community here at 4pm. I have seen people helping each other as they're looking for work. I've seen people sharing advice and concern for those who have different struggles and challenges. And I'm really thankful for all of that that I've seen here at 4pm. I think the words of 1 Thessalonians 4 are really apt. Now about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. I am really thankful for the way that I see us loving each other here at 4pm. 
And I want to urge us to do that more and more. I think we have a real challenge and opportunity here at 4pm. We have lots of new people joining us. And so we want to work hard at welcoming and loving each other, building this kind of love into our DNA as a family at 4pm. But I know that sometimes we also struggle to love like this. I know that even in our short history as a 4pm family, that there are some who haven't felt loved, that there are some who have felt on the outer or who have felt excluded at times. And that raises the question of why we struggle to love like this. One part of the answer to that is pretty simple, I think, and that is our sin. Our sin means that even though we've experienced God's sacrificial love for us, we struggle to sacrificially love other people. Sometimes the cost just seems too much. I think the cost of love that often bites for us is our time and comfort. Love takes time. Making room in our lives to love someone new is costly. And love takes us out of our comfort zone. Even saying hi to someone new at church can feel uncomfortable. Our sin sometimes means we don't want to count the cost of loving others. Sin sometimes means that our own interests still sometimes trump the interests of others. I remember once visiting another church a long time ago in Sydney and as I was sitting there I was feeling pretty cranky that no one had spoken to me. I was sitting in a pew and there was another young woman sitting a little bit along from me and I was especially cranky with her. Why hasn't she said something to me? Why hasn't she said hello? At one point in the service we were given space to talk to each other. I think they kind of made us talk to each other. Maybe they asked us a question from the front. And so this other girl and I managed to talk to each other. And as we chatted, it became clear that this was also her first time at that church. And so I was rebuked. I had been feeling so tuned into my own needs to be welcomed that I hadn't managed to reach out and love her. Sin gets in the way of love. Thankfully, we have that beautiful promise in 1 John that when we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So let's make sure we keep repentance and confession central in our life together, central in our individual lives as well. I think there's another reason why we struggle to love like this, and that is because we are finite beings. If we really look around us at church and see the need for love, if we really look around us at church and see all of the opportunities, all of the ways we could love, we would feel overwhelmed. No one of us can do this on our own. So it's encouraging to be reminded in passages like 1 John, where we read that loving one another is a plural idea. This is a together command in verse 12 of 1 John 4. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, that's a corporate thing. God lives in us and his love is made complete in us together. When I was just a new lawyer, my firm was having a Christmas party for our clients. I'd been working for them for about six months and the point of this Christmas party was 
to thank our clients, I guess, and for me in particular, the point of the party was for me to get to know lots of these clients. And what that meant was that the partners of my firm sprang into action. My experience of that evening was I would be part of one conversation for a little while, then one of the partners would come and grab me and take me to meet another client. And then a little while later, another partner would come and take me to meet another client. They were really good at this. It was kind of like a, a masterclass in networking. By the end of the evening, I had met a huge number of people. Just like that, we can only be a family who loves well if every one of us plays our part. So there are two main reasons I think we struggle. One, we struggle to love with love like God's love because of our sin, and we struggle to love because we are finite. So given these struggles, how can we be a family who loves one another with love like God's? I have two suggestions. First of all, we need to address the reasons we struggle to love. And secondly, we need to embrace our family likeness of love. So firstly, addressing the reasons we struggle to love. I've already talked about addressing our sin problem by keeping repentance and confession central in our life together. Taking time to reflect on how we relate to each other. Holding each other accountable for that. Our human limitations also need addressing. Part of that is making sure we work together, not in a utilitarian corporate way like at my, uh, church, uh, at my company's Christmas party, but in a loving, realistic way because we are committed to being a family who loves each other. If you say hi to someone at church who's new and you chat with them for a few minutes, don't feel like you need to turn that into a half-hour conversation. Feel free to do that if you want, but also look for someone else to join. Take your new friend and help them to meet a couple of other people that you know. Let's make sure we work at loving together. If you see people who, has need, who have needs during the week, if someone needs help with moving, Offer to help yourself, but grab a few other people to help with you. Recognising our human limitations also means making decisions about the shape of our lives. If I come to church with nothing left in my emotional tank every Sunday because of other commitments, my ability to love will be really impeded. Reflect also on your particular season in life. Every different season has different challenges. There are some among us at 4pm who have young kids. That's a challenge for them, but also an opportunity for them to reflect on how they can love. If you're a young worker, that might provide you with some challenges, but also think and pray about how you can love in your particular circumstances. If you're a little bit older, there will also be challenges. Think and pray about how you can be part of this family loving others in your season of life. As well as addressing the reasons we struggle to love, God calls us to embrace our family likeness of love. First of all, that means remembering that we are loved by God. God loves us with this costly, other person-centered, practical love. Remind yourself of this love often. Dwell on it as you read the Bible. Thank God for it as you pray. 
Secondly, we embrace our family likeness of love by praying for God's help. If anything's clear to me, it's that we cannot do this in our own strength. So let's pray individually that we will be people who love. Pray that every interaction you have with brothers and sisters in Christ will be loving. Pray that you will love particular people. Pray that together that we will be a loving family, a loving congregation, that no one will slip through the net here at 4pm. And pray for God's help knowing that God is at work in you. We heard in Philippians 2 verse 13 that it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfil his good purpose. We don't need to do this on our own. God is at work in us to fulfil his good purposes. So let's pray that he will be doing that more and more here at 4pm. We also know from Galatians 5 verse 22 that the fruit of the Spirit is love and then a whole lot of other qualities. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Let's pray that God will grow that fruit in us. And thirdly, we embrace our family likeness of love by having the same mindset as Christ. It's a really striking phrase, isn't it? In Philippians 2 verse 5. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. That's a really big call, isn't it? We could spend a lot of time unpacking that. But at the very least, there's an intentionality about this. So let's pray that we will have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. When you come to church next week, look around and try and imagine how would Jesus see the people here? As you go into the foyer and cafe after church, think, what would Jesus do now? And don't just be intentional on Sundays, be intentional during the week. Think about how Jesus might reach out to others during the week. So those are three ways that we can embrace our family likeness of love. Remember that we are loved by God, pray for God's help, have the same mindset as Jesus. Brothers and sisters, there are so many statistics about loneliness in our society. I read an article this week about independent bookshops in the UK which are having a huge resurgence, which I think is really lovely. I love bookshops. Some of them are intentionally working to reduce loneliness. One woman running one of these bookshops said, we're building friendships and trusted communities where people feel a sense of connection and belonging. We all want to be loved. It's part of who we are as people. God offers the only love that can truly satisfy that need. I'm really glad for someone to find community in a bookshop. But I would much rather they find love in God and in his church family. How sad it would be if someone came to church looking for love and didn't find it. If they didn't find love from us. And if therefore maybe they didn't find love from God. Let's make sure that doesn't happen here at St Jude's. 1 John chapter 4 shows us how God can change the world through us. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Why don't we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you love us in Christ. Father, please forgive us for the times when we really struggle to love one another. And please help us. Please shape us to be like Jesus. 
to love like Jesus and help us by your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.